Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Rachel Paris. This is Series 3, Episode 1. If you're a regular listener to Beyond Busy, welcome back. You'll notice that we didn't really go away, so we do this every two weeks and the last episode to end off Series 2 was two weeks ago, so we're going straight into Series 3. Uh, if you're a new listener to Beyond Busy, welcome. Um, just to give you a very quick uh, recap, reminder, or brand new intro, if you're a new listener, uh, to what I'm trying to do with this podcast. So uh, it's a couple of things. The first is to let you a little bit behind the scenes of a book product that I have on the go uh, called Beyond Busy. So there's going to be a book called Beyond Busy, which is just exploring uh, the idea of busyness and how to get how to get beyond busy and how to stop feeling busy. Uh, how to stop feeling trapped on the hamster wheel. And I think there's a whole thing about what I see a lot in my work helping people with productivity is the idea that, you know, you can get so caught up in just wanting to be more and more productive that actually you don't, you you kind of forget to stop. You know, you don't kind of uh, uh, ever set the goal for yourself or the boundary for yourself of when can I stop? When can I get off this train? When can I do something different? So um, hence, I am actually on a sabbatical as I talk to you right now. So I am not working at the moment uh, and just exploring that for myself in terms of what does stillness look like versus what does busy look like. Um, so the first thing is just to um, let you a little bit behind the scenes on that book and all of the conversations that I'm having as part of Beyond Busy are in some way research for the book. So whether I'll be quoting those people or taking some of those those themes that people give me uh, and putting those into chapters, uh, who knows just yet because the book is in early stages. Uh, but the idea is just to open up that process a little bit. And then the second thing is obviously just to bring these conversations to you. So I think this is just a wider conversation that we all need to have. I think as a society, I think we are so caught up in uh, having very set definitions of how we define happiness and success. Uh, you know, I think everyone feels very under pressure in the work that they do. And sometimes it's good to just take a step back and kind of listen to diff some different perspectives on all of this stuff. Um, and on that note, Rachel just made a really obvious choice for me as the first guest for Series 3. Uh, I went to see Rachel's show in the Soho Theatre um, a couple of months ago. And it was a show all about... So the show was called Best Laid Plans. And it was all about her hopes and dreams when she was a kid. And then like now that she's in her 30s, like how has that come about? How has it manifested itself? Is she in the place that she wanted to be? Uh, and the place that the little girl version of her thought that she would be by the time she was in her 30s. Uh, really, really uh, honest show, like some real kind of uh, super personal stuff that she delves into. Uh, and uh, the same in this conversation. So really enjoyed uh, sitting down with Rachel uh, in her, uh, her place in South London. And uh, just super clever, super smart and... Uh, just a really interesting person to chat to. Uh, she is uh, one of the founders of the improv troupe Ostentatious, if you've ever come across that. She's also been in the IT crowd. Uh, she's been on Murder in Successful and various other things that you might have seen her pop up on, on TV as well. So um, she's making a living as an entertainer. Just has some really interesting thoughts to share. And honestly, when I saw that show, Best Laid Plans, I was just like, okay, I have to get Rachel Paris on the podcast. So uh, let's go straight into it. So straight into my conversation with Rachel Paris. And I'm hoping 
from this conversation, you're going to see why. So here we are with Rachel Paris. I'm here uh, in South London, sunny South London today. On quite a creaky chair. On a creaky chair. Maybe I should change chairs. No, that one's Is that even more? That's so broken. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be creaky chair noises. That's all right. Mm. Uh, we're in, in your place in South London. Yay. Uh, it's the springtime and the blossom is out, which yeah. is lovely walking here. Like very oh, peaceful. And... I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, really nice. Um, and I came to see your show a couple of weeks ago. Thanks for um, coming. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. I loved it. And there was a bit in your show that made me think I have to get Rachel on the podcast like straight away, uh, which uh, maybe you can uh, tell the story for our podcast listeners. So um, quite near the beginning of the show, you take out a blackboard yeah, and you draw you and then you kind of draw this kind of visualisation of your life. Yeah, like and the a... show's called Best Laid Plans. Yeah. Um, so just, just start with, uh, just tell us first of all just about that. So where did that come from as an idea and, and what the show's about? Well, in the show... Um... What I talk about mainly, like when you cut all the extraneous stuff away from it, is this idea of having, um, albeit perhaps old-fashioned, um, plans for your life, maybe that that a certain generation might grow up with. Just really basic things like um, a house and driving a car and being a parent and getting married. Really just like quite basic things like that. that I think when you're a little girl that's what you think to do yeah. um, not everyone obviously but I think I did and so I wanted to show that um on stage in a clear way because just by the things I just write shows on what has been on my mind and because of um a breakup that happened what had been on my mind is like how different life is turning out mm. and so in the show I thought it was helpful for the audience to have an idea of the different subjects that I was touching at so I sort of came up with this idea of like a child's drawing yeah yeah and it was it's so evocative because everyone remembers drawing those things. And someone, uh, I just overheard um, someone at the very end of the show going, she was talking about my life. You know? <laughs> so obviously it sort of like hits a nerve with people when you sort of have this, yeah. when you sort of remind people of this imagery of, oh yeah, I sort of thought I'd yeah. be married by this age or have a so certain many. job or a certain house. Yeah, or so, yeah. so, so many people, men and women, mm. um, came up... Um, uh, I've been doing the show now for like a year in various so I've done it at the Edinburgh Fringe I've done it in London I've done it in festivals and I'm on tour with it around the country and so many different kinds of people from all different kind of bits of life and different different ages although it more stemmed between like 20 and 40 have come up and said that but especially women in their 30s right. have come yeah. up and been like I felt like everything you were saying <laughs> was yeah. about my life but the thing is that's in a way, it was a surprise, because it's always a surprise when anything that you've written in your living room proves to resonate with someone else. But in a way, it's not, because about 70% of my friends are in the same situation as I am, which yeah. is living in, you know, sharing a flat the way you did when you were a student <laughs> and kind of single and still, like, working out whether you're too old to go clubbing and things like that. <laughs> so, you know, in a way, it's not a surprise, because I sort of knew that was the case. Yeah. Do you think it is... Is the other difference between women and men is that the pressure of age around the biological clock stuff? Like, yeah. I have quite a few friends who are in that position as well, and it's like there is a real sort of time pressure if you're 
visualized you know storyboard of your life involves kids and a family and that yeah. kind of thing whereas men like you know you can have kids later and it's like you know it just feels like it's less pressured in yeah that kind of totally way. like I know because I've had men say to me about it you know oh well, there's pressure on us as well I don't want to be a dad you know I don't want to be starting a family when I'm 45 and I'm like I know you don't want to but you can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not I know hashtag not all men not I know you might not be able to but like more so um, but that choice whereas is a real I, you luxury, have that choice, yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. Um, the, I, as I say in the show, I'd I'd love to have kids at forty five, <laughs> but yeah. um, it's probably not an option for many people. I've had a lot of anecdotes about so many people after. So in the show, just for <laughs> sorry to back, I talk about um, yeah this issue basically of breaking up when you're in your thirties and working out the timing of that and, mm. and the pressure, yeah, of the biology and everything. And I've had so many so many people coming up and just going. Well, you know, I don't think you need to worry because my friend had a baby at 42. And I'm like, <laughs> right. well, that's great anecdotal <laughs> evidence. Yeah. But I've done the, st- I've read the statistics. Yeah, that's real sort of, um, uh, I watched a Darren Brown thing recently and it was called something like, it wasn't confirmation bias, but it was another one of those It's that kind thing. of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it was basically to do with, so the particular thing he was trying to do was uh, he said that he has a system that guarantees a winner on the horses. Um, and it did guarantee a winner because what he was doing is he started with 20,000 people and there's a four horse race and then he narrowed it down so by the end of the six horse races that he used and they all had four horses in there would always be one winner at the end of that but like when you look at it through the narrow experience of this one woman who's winning every time Mm. it's like oh there's a system (laughs) and it's like sort of that's the bit that confirms everything else but of course his point is we are so caught up in our own experience that we don't see all the other experiences that confirm or deny exactly. what you think yeah exactly same, same kind of idea. and you remember the positive more which yeah, is which exactly. is, which yeah, is yeah. great yeah. but um uh, anyway it's like slight tangent there so yeah, uh, <laughs> so uh, from me not from you you were totally <laughs> on point uh, so uh so the show is is about this sort of period in your life like you have this breakup you had these you know, you had this kind of um, vision of things and then it starts to change and sort of go in a different direction. Yeah. Um, so, like, what... Uh, if you think back to when you were younger, what did you... Like, what did your ide- idealised version of those things look like? What was success to you? When I you don't think... I don't think... Actually, I have, I have always, I think, had, since I was little, a bit of an inkling for doing something a bit different career-wise. I think I've liked a performing of one sort or another since I was really small. Yeah even though I didn't, I didn't have a visual idea of what a performing career would be, but I think there was something in me that was like, oh, I'm probably not going to aim to be an accountant, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but, like, I just... I think I, I'm not someone who uh, has visualised, you know, like, their wedding and marrying this particular kind of person and having this particular kind of house. That's not the way I grew up, and it's it's not like I've had really specific ideas I think it's more of a background expectation than anything else so I don't think I actually had a really clear visual idea of like I will live in a detached beautiful house with a married to a banker or something like that I don't think I ever thought of those things it's just the vague notion of like marriage and kids yeah and 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 what always interests me about that whole thing is how much of that is your in the back of your head vague notion versus how much of it is the societal pressure yeah so if you're in a completely different societal structure 
would you still be thinking, oh, I'd quite like to yeah, settle down and buy a house? Whatever, yeah. I know. Like in Germany, when a lot of people rent rather than buy houses. Exactly. And so there isn't that weird expectation yeah. of like, when you grow up, you will buy a house. Yeah. And I wonder if they... So if you're in Germany listening to this, email <laughs> me and let me know. But like in Germany, do you have a, a sort of thing of like wanting... Like does it, does it uh, change your thinking around sort of nesting and putting down roots? Like mm-hmm. are you less concern with those kind of things because renting is more secure and exactly kind of or do and you have and... or do you have almost exactly the same thing it just happens to be rental not yeah, like, yeah maybe, maybe it's like my aim is to rent somewhere yeah. <laughs> really nice for 20 years yeah. which is possible there yeah like, yeah, yeah. Like, but i think the next gen- i think the generation after us will i think that will change unless something absolutely mental happens economically Mm. then I think there will I think this generation will have affected a bit of a change of view so that children growing up now maybe won't have that idea of like that as an expectation and there's already a shift I think in um, sort of younger people in the workforce that whole sort of I mean millennials are strange word, isn't it but like the whole millennial thing of being more it being more about sort of immediacy and being in the moment and experience rather than status symbols and yeah and actually experience becoming your status through facebook and yeah your instagram life and all that sort of thing yeah. right? so people are already kind of shifting that more into less tangible assets i guess definitely yeah more into kind of the personal brand yeah. as being you and that sort of thing i find it and i find it hard to work out if it's um like my parents generation or if it's my parents but (laughs) (laughs) but like I think certainly with them and with like a lot of the people that age that I know so so much pressure on saving 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 security 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 Mm. which is obviously important um but yeah I don't I wonder if like I I don't feel as worried about that (laughs) maybe it's because I'm an idiot and I'll get to pension (laughs) age and won't have a pension yeah, maybe that's what it is, is that I'm just a fool. But um, <laughs> certainly I think most of our generation, yeah, as you say, is more interested in, like, just yeah. experiences rather than... Maybe because buying a house isn't an option. Like, definitely, you know, we've all, like, most people, because I know entertainers, none of us are earning anywhere. We've done the maths and we've calculated, like, best-case scenario, we'd pay off the mortgage by the time we were, like, 203 years old. <laughs> right. So we know that's definitely off the cards. So maybe that affects and makes, makes you more, like, experiential. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and does that make you... Yeah, so, like, is, is, does part of you then think, well, I just need to become the Russell brand of, of what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause obviously there are people in and people think of entertainers as being very well paid and yeah, it's funny. because, they they, do, because again, they? cause they take those like small number of bits of evidence of the Jonathan Ross salary yeah, that gets publicized when he exactly. signs a new deal. And, well, entertainers, whatever. um, like wage wise encapsulate Britain in the, mm. it's like the top, the top, like 1% <laughs> earn all the money. <laughs> and then there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entertainers that earn, not really enough to pay the rent, yeah. <laughs> but just keep going anyway. There's a sort of satire of satirists to be done there, isn't there? Yeah. About like, you know, the 1% versus exactly. everyone else. So um, I forgot what your question was because I was so busy making an outstanding metaphor. <laughs> um. So we're just talking about, um, do you sort of feel that pressure to become... Oh, to be the to, big splash. Yeah, to sort of um, take your work to that level in order to get the money? Or is it more about, okay, actually it's more about... Um, you know, loving what you do and then just setting up the, the sort of life part of your work-life balance to be 
you know, more content with the things that you have rather than kind of striving for more wealth or um, status or whatever? I'm not sure because I think you get so... Um, I think if I'm honest, I think like I do like I like the idea of being famous for something that I do well. Mm. If I can find something that I do well enough to be famous for it, so like I wouldn't want to be famous for the sake of it. Like I'd hate to, every year, loads of comedians get bloody like Britain's Got Talent scouts right, come yeah. and try and propel you yeah. to straight in front of the judges and they're like we think you're perfect for Britain's Got Talent and you're like no I'm not <laughs> I swear I'm not family entertainment you wouldn't get the ju- like yeah. um, and I'd hate, hate like there's but then there's avenues of things that you think oh well if if I did that well enough and I got famous for that that would be really nice because you just feel respected and feel that you'd done really well mm. in your job but I don't think I would want to do it for money's sake. But I sometimes wonder if that would change if, at the moment, I live in a flat that I like for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if I didn't get to do that, maybe I would feel differently and I'd be like, yes, I'll do anything for money. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But at yeah, the moment, I feel pretty I feel pretty content. Um, and I'm, that being, just while we're on that whole sort of motivation thing, so that drive to say, I'd love to be really famous for a thing mm. um, so is that about the recognition for the work then if it's yeah. not about money yeah the recognition for the work to be to be like esteemed I suppose mm. I'd really like that yeah um, the other thing that I really loved about your show was uh, there were some bits in it that were, that were really confessional yeah so you talk about um, emails that you'd written to the Samaritans yeah um, and Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, but I guess what was interesting to me about that was um, it felt like quite a risky thing to do, like quite an exposing thing to do. So presumably lots of your friends who don't know you well enough to know that you'd written emails to the Samaritans are going to come and see that show and your parents are going to come and see that show and it's going to be written about and stuff. Um, So I'm just interested in um, why you chose that as a topic and... Uh, and the sort of risk that you were perhaps playing with as you were thinking yeah. um, I chose it as a topic well I sort of didn't really choose it as a topic so it happened and I did write to the Samaritans and... so you weren't making it up so yeah that, that's true um, it didn't go on for very long though it was a really brief period um, but um, it, what, it happened to be precisely the period where you're attempting desperately to write a show so I'd actually got a show already before the before the breakup happened I'd already right. been previewing a version of that show without anything about the Samaritans or a breakup or anything it right, was just okay. about it was about not the kids and the marriage and the house yeah. and all that um and then and then uh, I broke up with uh, my boyfriend and then this happened and I was working with a director someone who was helping me figure out what to put in the show and what not to put in the show and we just, I, I mentioned in one preview that I'd written to the Samaritans and it was only a one little two minute mm. mention. And he, he said afterwards, he said, that was more interesting than anything else in your show. Yeah. Because um, it's truthful and no one really does that. And I think yeah, everyone if, would be curious. Like sort of, li- you know, listening to it, it felt very like, man, this is really open. Like you're really putting a very vulnerable part of your life on stage in front of lots of people um, and me being sat in the audience thinking 
most of these people have just been at work. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, they don't know you. And it just, you know, I thought, wow, that, that's something that I think I would struggle to do. I've, you know, I've written blog posts about yeah. trials and tribulations in my life, but I think to me that feels safer than standing up on a stage and saying, this is me and yeah. putting it out there. It's weird in the, um, it depends on the context because in some contexts I do feel, so basically I, I, I didn't feel too exposed talking about it in, in the context of me doing an hour long show in which I get to fully explain how it came about hmm. And you'll notice, like, in the show I talk about, like, you know, this is very unusual for me, and, I like, you get a feeling for what came before and after, and I felt in control of exactly what the context was of talking about this, even though it was confessional. I, I would never do that material at a comedy club. I right. Would, I would never talk yeah. about that at a comedy night where I was doing 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Um, and I don't know that I would talk about it um, I don't know if I'd read out those. I don't know if I'd read those letters out ever, apart from in that show. So mm. it's just because I get to um, the first few times I read them out. I remember my heart going and feeling a bit yeah. like, "Oh, this is weird." Telling people about this, certainly when my friends came to see it. But then after a few times, enough time elapsed that it just be, really becomes part of your show. It just happens to be true. And it sort of becomes detached from you almost. It's yeah. like just a thing that you do at this point in the yeah. show rather than like, okay, I'm kind of... Yeah, it does. Any, after doing it like 10 it. times, yeah, yeah that's, how it, that's how it goes. But like, I was thinking about this because I wrote um, the, the sex stuff in the show, which is also quite, what's the word? Bearing all kind yeah. of thing. Um, I did write a... A blog post about that for Standard Issue, um, which is a Sarah Millican's like magazine, online magazine, um, and that got very publicised at the time, right. and that felt a bit out of hand, and I yeah. slightly regretted it. Yeah, because you forget with online, it's one thing doing it in a live show. You have Even no if you're control, d- but you have no it? control. Once that's online, you have no. Con- and I, I don't regret it. I'm glad because actually, again, lots of women got in touch and said, "Oh, this is me," and I'm so glad mm. it helped me. You know, reading it. But I've been asked to talk about those issues. Um, I talk in the show about the female orgasm um, and my experience of it, and I've been asked to talk about those issues like in like sex podcasts and things like right. that. Okay. And I don't know if I do want to. It's weird. It, it really depends on the context when you feel comfortable and when you don't. Yeah, because then you risk, you know, that's a sort of device as part of your show and you being a comedian. Like, you don't yeah. pre- presumably want to become, like, a sex columnist. In, exactly. On, you don't want to be on, you know, uh, daytime TV. I don't want to go on Loose, loose or, Women and talk about yeah. orgasm. Exactly. Or on, you know, in a column in The Guardian as no. the mental health person talking no. about writing to the Samaritans, I guess, as well. Not so it's at like all. trying to keep it, keeping a lid on it in terms of where you want it to be. Exactly. It's, it's just, yeah. like, my experience for a comedy as part of a comedy show it's not yeah setting you 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 do risk being seen as like yeah wanting to be an authority on that subject yeah and also it, it sounds really weird to say this when you are doing it live but like it, it there, there still is a level of privacy about it in that i'm willing to do it to these to people who yeah. are seeing it in this context but but not in other situations have you ever had um because this is a thing which happens in any in live performance now, annoyingly, but someone with their phone recording the thing. Like, have you ever had that in your show? Or? Um, not as far as I know. Yeah. I haven't seen anything online. Um, the only thing is that people... I've had people recording songs that I do. Yeah. They seem to be more into recording the songs. So, yeah. like, 
more at comedy clubs, they re- the big hitters, like I do this song called I'm Amazing that people always record yeah. that. But I've never had anyone during moments like that record it. That would be quite a thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, she's talking about her sexual insecurities. Just, I just the idea that, that you're on stage and, the, and it, like, that totally changes then the control that you have mm. over your work. Yeah. Because suddenly that person could put it wherever they want and yeah. they could use it in their own... I'd be furious. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you saw that, would you presumably have to sort of break character or break the moment of the yeah. show and just be like, sorry, that's not on? Yeah, I yeah. would. Yeah. Thankfully, hopefully, yeah, <laughs> it hasn't and, happened. And yeah, like like I went to thing last night and it was like the ushers on the way in were mm. like, no recording. <laughs> so I think people kind of get that there's a, yeah. you know. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? That whole... Um, that thing that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you wouldn't have had records of every single thing. Yeah. And, you know, in a sort of comedic sense, like a lot of comedy works by the trial and error of like seeing what which thing gets a laugh versus which thing doesn't. So yeah. if someone's recording the whole thing. That's why... And you've got, you know, <clears throat> random... I've heard um, uh, Stuart Lee's done, you know, sort of blog posts about it saying, please stop recording the stuff that doesn't work because it's not... Actually, my it's not my work. It's not the thing that I want to be known. Well, it's because yeah, because you have like new material nights, obviously, that you go yeah. and do specifically for that reason, in a, a safe space, if you like. That's mm. the whole point, and that's why you get to see Stuart leave three pounds. Yeah, it's for that purpose that you know some of it works and some of it doesn't. So if someone's recording that, it really is not okay. <laughs> but it's like you know, if someone took you know a chapter of a book that I hadn't finished yet and said, "This is the book." I mean, mm. it's, that's the same. It's yeah, thing, it's not. It? It's not. And it's like, no, this isn't the book. I'm still working on. Yeah. I'm still like changing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, like, I love the show. Very Thanks. confessional, and uh, you know, and just I think touched a nerve in terms of some of those key themes that we talk about on Beyond Busy. Really, around how do you define happiness and success, and yeah. and, and and things around that. Um, one of the things that um, I like to do with this podcast is it sort of allows me to explore what it would be like to live, you know, a different career or like, you know, sort of sort of different types of uh, jobs and lifestyles and yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about with uh, being an entertainer and uh, doing comedy uh, was uh, Elizabeth Gilbert has a phrase. Do you know Elizabeth Gilbert who does mm. Eat, Pray, Love? And she's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TED Talk and stuff. Uh, and I will link to her in the show notes for this. And I'll also link to your I'm Amazing song. As oh, well. great. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, and probably some other stuff. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so Liz Gilbert has this thing where she says, um, if you're trying to give careers advice to somebody about the kind of job they should do or like where they should go in their life and career and stuff, it's one thing to say, what do you want to be? But the more interesting question is, uh, what's the thing that you're, uh, that you're really driven to do, that you're also prepared to eat the shit sandwich that goes with it. Yeah, that's and, interesting. You know what that means is, you know, if um, being an, you know, being a lawyer means loads of late nights and a bad work life balance. Well, mm. you have to really love law and then go. Yeah, I'm prepared for that for twenty years until I become partner or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, or if you're a, I guess if you're an Olympian, you have to be prepared to not have much chocolate cake for yeah. like ten or fifteen <laughs> years because that's yeah. the deal, right? Um, so I'm just interested what you see as the shit sandwich for what you do. What are the things that you think are, um, you know, the the unglamorous stuff that goes with the territory? I think I think there's two, which is appropriate for a sandwich, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I think one is loneliness. Oh, okay. In terms of, uh, n- not in terms of spending time completely alone, although I think you do. 
actually day to day. Um, but there's there's a huge sense of um, everything being on you. And that has pros and cons because mm. it means when things go well, you experience a huge high, nothing like it, of like owning that achievement completely yourself. Yeah. Um, but when think day to day, just things like having absolutely no one motivating you to write except you. Yeah. You've got no. You've got. You've got long term deadlines like the Edinburgh Fringe, for example. You do the yeah. Edinburgh Fringe, but that's a year away. But you've got to start writing that eight months in advance. Um, you know, just like everything. You there's no one really organising you or or telling you that you're good. There's no one, yeah. there's no boss saying you've hit this goal or you've hit this target or you haven't as well. If you're doing shit, right. it's quite hard yeah. to tell because one audience will laugh and another audience won't laugh. You just have to go like statistically, if most of the time they're laughing, then that's yeah. good. And presumably um, you do that twice, but then you've got three or four days in between that yeah. of just total in your head. Yeah. Trying to work out whether that was any good of course, or not. Yeah. And it depends what kind of comedian you are. I don't do as much touring as a lot of comedians, but if you're a touring comedian, you're driving or training around the country alone mm. and you're in that dressing room backstage alone. I've been touring recently and I've been very lucky because I go with um, my technician, who's my friend, um, but when he's not there, you're just... So I spent like a week just travelling on trains around the country. Yeah. Carrying my keyboard, going to the theatres, meeting new people. You're doing a very high-pressure show all on your own. And if they don't like it, you, you've got no... You come out and you've got no friends saying, don't worry, yeah. you'll be all right. right. You just come out and yeah. you feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> and you then you go to your little hotel on your own. And then you wake up and, and you get on a train on your own. And you sit in a travel lodge. Then you come home and yeah. you're on your own. And well, not if you've got a fat... Like, you know, I live with a flatmate, but a lot of it is um, both in terms of, like actual spending time alone and also having no backup you haven't really mm. got backup what you have got is people in the industry saying don't forget that you've got to do a show in six months and <laughs> <laughs> and it had better it had better yeah. be good i literally last ugh, i remember like last year working up to this show the feeling of um you know all you think all you're thinking about in the few months before edinburgh is the show it's so much. it depends yeah. where you are in your career but for me last year it really felt like a sort of make or break situation of like a lot of pressure on me it was the first time I'd gone with uh, like a, a, with like a big agency and right. a big production company a lot of money invested in it and everything and I was talking to like one of the producers about it and saying I'm, I'm worried about losing money here and you know if I don't know if I like the poster and stuff like that and she said Rachel, don't worry about that. The only thing you've got to worry worry about, I, I want you to focus on just how really crucial it is that your show is excellent. Mm. And I was like, that's the last thing you should yeah, say to me. Right. That's the last thing yeah. I need to hear because I know that already. Like, um, So I think loneliness across the board can be a thing. Yeah. And so loneliness, you know, in terms of that emotional support, if it's not gone well, or even when it has gone well and you want to, you know... Celebrate. You want to celebrate and yeah. feel good about that. Um, but also just a sort of hole there where other people would have a team, right? So if you're in a you know, more regular office job, yeah, then yeah. you've got a whole team of people around you that you can bounce ideas off yeah. all the time and chat over the water cooler with and have a distraction with and all that sort of stuff. So it must kind of affect you day to day around. Yeah, it does. And, and don't get me wrong, it makes it sound as though there's no community. There is a community. You do all talk to each other. 
we all often end up in the same cafes in town because you just right. you know go for some human contact right. sort of sit and write um but i think at the end of the day yeah the only person you're answering to is yourself mm. and not having even like i don't really know but like you know i've done <laughs> i've done proper jobs and like even the feeling of having uh, a colleague or even a boss even someone if you've lost your direction a little bit to yeah. go to and be like uh, I'm not sure that I'm working in the right way or I'm not sure this is working. Yeah, you've just got to sort it out yourself, really. Yeah. Um, but like I say, that's also, if it suits you, then that's great because you answer to yourself, which is good. Well, yeah, so the flip side of that is it's freedom and it's good like and bad, choices yeah. and autonomy yeah, and of all course, that great stuff. But which is yeah. great. Yeah, so it, sometimes it's like the best thing in the world and sometimes it's just like, what am I doing? Like today, <laughs> I told you, like before you arrived, like I have... I have today set aside to like do writing on my new show, which I have not written. <laughs> and everyone's like, and is this for Edinburgh? For Edinburgh coming up in uh, uh, what are we now? Four months or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. god, yeah. And um, sorry, did I just give you? A yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, no, it's good to know. Good to know. Um, so, like, this is why the ninja is here. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. So, like, and today I just couldn't. Ah, uh, like there's no there's no one to hand anything into, you know. You've just got to like hope that you get anything mm. done. The one thing I did do is have I always have ideas in the bath, so right. I did have yeah. a bath. And <laughs> I never have ideas. If I take a book with me to the bath, then I don't think of anything. If I have nothing to write anything down with, and I'm really annoyed about it in the bath, then that's when the yeah. ideas come. So I have thought up a good song, I think. Okay. In the bath today, one song. Okay. Potentially, so. But that's like five minutes of your. That's maybe three and a half minutes. Yeah, hour, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, tell me about your relationship with the blank page. So when you're at that point uh, of you have to start writing and, you know, you write articles and you write shows and mm. everything else. Um, like, does it terrify? Like, is it the same as that whole loneliness thing? Is there like the, it, the two flip sides of it can be immensely freeing, but also it's like terrifying that yeah. this is going to be good. And For me, the thing that's terrifying is it's completely random for me. So I have I have like just weeks where... I'll sit, even if I get myself to like sit it properly with a coffee and I'm all dressed properly and I've got the laptop in front of me and I've got time. Um, and I just, nothing, just yeah. can't think of anything, like proper full-on writer's block. Um, and then other times you'll be sitting on the tube. I think maybe that's, it must be a psychological thing. It's when it's, when it's not appropriate to write mm. <laughs> stuff down that ideas come to you. If you, but I don't know how to get myself into that headspace yeah. So that you've got a free flow of ideas. I don't uh, loads know. of people talk about that though, that whole sort of um you know, creativity comes when you least expect it. Yeah. And that sort of all those kind of ideas. I know, but I stuff. don't know how you I get that, but I wish there was a way of making it happen. <laughs> yeah. I haven't got time to wait for that to happen. Yeah. Um Yeah. I do I do find it problematic. I actually I prefer to write in a notebook I do find it a bit better to write in a notebook than initially anyway yeah I obviously end up with with I end up with um a proper script on the computer but those initial things that get your mind sparking I find I work a lot better um writing it down and do you carry that around with you so if you're on the tube and you come up with a song idea or whatever do you just quick like, yeah somehow whatever I've stuff, got with write me. it down yeah. yeah yeah I find well with songs um, I find that if I've come up with the idea, 
just a really vague, just a, not vague at all, really specific idea. The song writes itself. Yeah. Um, so the lyrics, the music, everything falls into place after that. It's coming up with that one, it's yeah, coming up yeah, with the yeah, idea yeah. itself. So, yeah. for example, um, the gym song, the idea of someone showing off that they've been to the gym and mentioning yeah. it 27 times, yeah. um, the song writes itself once you've come up with that idea. And the I'm Amazing thing, which is basically the kind of X Factor winner's song yeah, thing, right? Yeah, the idea that like, it's supposed to be about inspiring people, but yeah. in fact it's just about how great you are. Yeah, um, yeah it writes itself once you come up with that. Um, but it's it's coming up with that idea mm. that, that's the difficult thing, not the crafting it, I find yeah. fine. And you've done a few shows now, but like, do you still feel like it's completely random? Like you don't have a a kind of, you know, by this time I'll have written, you know... 50 minutes and then that will hone that down to 20 like is it does it just come come when it comes like you don't have a sort of process around it well I would have a process if I was more disciplined so I know what the process should be like I think ideally you have well for ideally you don't do it in a fucking year (laughs) it's not enough time to do a great show but um so like best laid plans I did I tied a year off Mm. before I did that and that's that helped but this year I'm, you know, I'm still touring Best Laid Plans. I only just did it, so I've been left with months yeah, to do a yeah. show, which isn't really interesting. But I think ideally you are doing an hour's worth of, like, very mixed material by January, and half of that will go in the bin, or more, right. actually. Probably 40 minutes of that will go in the bin. And then you'll keep adding to it. So you just add to it and build it and build it. it. So the quality just improves as you go through. And then by the time you get to Edinburgh, it's like the thing. Exactly. You You just chuck stuff away, chuck stuff away. And then you craft it into a sort of like narrative. But what what I have done this year is uh, just think of the idea, which this year is about giving a speech. I've been asked to do a speech at my old school. um, Okay. Which I thought was quite an interesting thing to talk about. Because it's just odd to be like going back and being asked to be the guest speaker as if you're respectable <laughs> so I did exactly that I did a book on study skills yeah. um, which was just layered irony on irony so when I was at school I was a terrible student oh really um, not terrible I was alright I went to grammar school and everyone was really good mm. at the grammar school and I sort of fluked or scraped my way in and I was good at certain things but certain things I wasn't really good at. And so, like, when I was about 15, I just went completely off the rails and I would just truant and I wasn't there and whatever. And I got sort of mediocre GCSEs and, like, okay A-levels mm. to scrape me onto the course I wanted mm-hmm. to go to at uni. But, like, the idea that I then got asked to write this book about how to study, yeah. which it turns out there's loads of really good transferable stuff from productivity into study. So I almost was... And I put this at the start of the book saying... I wasn't very good at this, like, through these particular ages, but now I know all this stuff from business. This yeah. is going to help you in your studies here. And, like, I did loads of really, you know, I, and I really researched it, and it was very science-based and stuff. So I had a level of, like, you know, of, there was a level of rigour to the book that made the book credible. Mm. But when it was me going and standing up in the school and doing <laughs> doing that same talk or whatever, oh, the author is here and yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> it was, I just had this total... Uh, imposter syndrome thing. Of yeah. Like, oh, that's it. What, yeah. Imposter what syndrome. What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, Why are you listening to me? Like, yeah. And one of my teachers from my A levels was still working at the school and showed me around, did me a tour <laughs> of the school, and it was like being fourteen again. Yeah. Like it was totally bizarre. 
I'm fully expecting yeah. that. So that will be, yeah, that's a thing what that you'll have about, to do. Yeah. Uh, but what a great little topic for a... Yeah, I hope so. Either a show or a bit of a show, because it's like, it's a thing that, you know, when you do get asked to do those things, you start to think about, okay, what's success and what's, you know, um, is this the sort of model thing that I should be aiming for? Am yeah. I just a complete fraud? Exactly, yeah. So, so you've got that as the idea and then I've it's got that like, as the idea and yeah. I'm sort of writing around it. So I'll incorporate little five minutes of stand-up that I've sort of been doing the last few months. And I've got an idea of like having um, like character speeches because it's about giving a speech. Okay. Like <laughs> having little characters doing a speech, like a sort of fake Braveheart right, okay. speech and um, a office retirement speech and that kind of thing. So I'm hopeful, I haven't done character for a couple of years, so... It would be nice to have the chance to do a bit of character, actually. Mm. I haven't done that for a while. Um, what, uh, what, do you have any tricks that you use? Uh, perhaps not today, because you said today wasn't today. a good day. <laughs> but do you have any tricks that you use to keep you focused? So not Just, having a boss, not having a team and you know, a sort of way to model that. But like what, how do you keep that motivation and what, what does focus you? I have to... Pl- I have to well one th- number one get out of the house I know some people can work in their house and I've got a perfectly nice I could sit here where we are and write and yeah. it's a perfectly good environment yeah. for me I will not work <laughs> I just right. won't I've got too many distractions too comfortable um, there's so many things I can do if I'm at home so I have to get out of the house I've discovered um, <laughs> and didn't today um, <laughs> for me for me it's just booking gigs I have to book gigs because okay. that's I have to be freak I have to be well it doesn't freak me out but that's the deadline that's the only deadline that works I can put yeah. a random deadline and say you will write 500 words by tomorrow but unless there's a gig to perform them at then I won't so for me I have to in advance book new material new material gigs and then inevitably to be honest I'm this bad I was the same at school I like wrote essays in my lunch hour like right. half an hour before yeah. handing them in um the new material that I'll perform at those gigs, I'll write an hour and a half before the gig. Um, wow. So, like, that's the only way I can do it, is book the gigs, and then you're just sitting there, you know, waiting, and you're thinking, and you've put it off, and you've put it off, and you put it off, and then you're like, fuck, okay, it's 5.30, okay. <laughs> I better, better wow. write some new material. So that's the only thing. I can sometimes, it's not like that's the only situation in which I ever do any work, but that is the only thing that definitely makes me work. Wow. Um, I, I'm bowled over by that because about uh, two weeks ago, I had an anxiety dream that was almost exactly <laughs> what you've just said. <laughs> and it was the most terrifying yeah. thing like in my life. So uh, we'll come on to our improv in a minute. So yeah. It's another little thing that we both have in common. Uh, but I was doing this improv course and we were in the pub after the improv course. And there's a bit of a crossover, obviously, as you know, people who've done improv and also had had a go at stand up and yeah, various other yeah. things. And I was talking to someone who had done quite a lot of stand up and was saying, "Graham, if you're doing keynotes and public speaking and stuff, stand up would be great for you." And I was like, "My thing was, I'm always so scared of stand up, I can't even go near the websites it's that so are strange, like strange, isn't it? How it doesn't translate. yeah. So improv feels very uh, feels like a community thing. It feels yeah. very supportive." Yeah. And the idea of standing up there and going, look at me and I'm funny, like feels to me like a very exposing thing. And uh, standing up there and saying, look at me, I've written a book feels totally the opposite to that because it's like the book is my comfort blanket and it's my credibility. And, 
you know, even if you don't like my talk, read the book, it'll be better than this, right? So it kind yeah. of feels like a little sort of crutch. And so my anxiety dream, well, after we'd had that conversation in the pub, uh, I went home and I'd, he'd sort of, he'd inspired me to at least look at the page of this particular like yeah. <laughs> comedy course and do it again, not to become a comedian, but yeah. to use it as a skills development thing. And then I went to bed, thought nothing of it. And then I woke up at 4am um, having an anxiety dream of having four things written on a piece of paper <laughs> and being on stage and everyone's like watching you. But then also no one was really paying attention and yeah. I had no jokes. Like, <laughs> I realised I'd just written some topics that I was going to write jokes about. Yeah. Uh, and some really specific stuff as well that yeah. was on here. Like, about <laughs> bands that my dad likes and stuff. But there were no jokes. And then it was like, <gasps> but that's how jokes. you... So the day that you do that, but is it, that not... But it's not as scary as it sounds when I say that. Because don't forget that after seven years, yeah. I've got... So I've got a few hours so can of material you fall back to fall back on. You can. Right, okay. Yeah, so that's. But your, you can your fall back on it, but job is to not do that. Is to not do yeah. that. And that is just, you have to make sure you don't yeah. take the easy way out. Yeah. Um, you actually do the new material. but um, So does that make it less scary then, the fact that you know that there's yeah. a safety net there if I need it? And then, exactly. If yeah. you're really properly bombing, yeah. if really everything you're saying they just hate, then you're like, <laughs> oh, fine, fine, I'll do the old stuff that I know works. But yeah, my anxiety dreams are always. Um, fairly standard um but they're always about like weirdly for a performer they're often about performing but they're about yeah. performing genres that i don't know nothing about <laughs> so they're like um it's like i'm going through like a shakespeare rehearsal process but inexplicably i haven't learned my lines at all like not at all <laughs> and then it's the night and i only realized in the wings going on to do like of Shakespeare scene that I don't know a single word yeah. <laughs> and I can't blag it or I had one the other night about opera that like I was <laughs> somehow got far enough to be like going onto the stage at the Royal Opera House but then realised I wasn't an opera singer <laughs> I didn't know how to sing opera so yeah still that's still there it turns out and what's interesting about that is that uh, so let's talk about improv because that feels yeah. like a nice segue so in improv in essence that's what you're doing and the Shakespeare thing is obviously so close to you know I the guess. Jane Austen thing, I right? Guess. Like yeah, there's yeah. a real link there. Um, so let's talk about uh, ostentatious, and you can maybe just give the backstory for ostentatious. Yes, um, ostentatious is a show which um, I and some friends started five years ago, and it is an improvised Jane Austen story. So we do it like in costume with music and everything, but we get the audience to suggest a fake book title. It doesn't have to be Jane Austen style; it can be anything. And then we improvise for an hour a Jane Austen story. Cool. And so, yeah, like it sort of seems a bit like if you're having an anxiety dream about Shakespeare, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you do exactly that. But, that, with, yeah. you know, but when you do ostentatious, no one expects you to be actually saying real Jane Austen lies. Yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a key difference. Um, so um, I've not seen ostentatious other than have seen bits and pieces online. Yeah. Uh, and stuff like that but it's so it's just gone down really well and yeah. been a big success over the last yeah, um, so yeah it's been really, really it was popular like really quickly which we didn't expect we were just like messing around in a pub right um you know uh and it's improv so we didn't expect anyone to ever come and see it let alone pay for it and then quite quickly it got really popular we went from like bigger venue to bigger venue then we did our first Edinburgh Fringe five years ago and it sold out and it keeps doing really well so now we're looking at sort of radio and west end and stuff like that so it's sort, yeah. of, it's sort of grown and grown really i think we've got a bit of a cult following now 
Yeah, and we were talking just before we um, hit record about the idea of the sort of the eight-year overnight success story. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, you know, you guys started doing it in a pub and it's a small thing. But then I guess the first people, the first that a lot of people will hear of it is when you're on Radio Radio 4 4. with it or doing a big... Uh, thing in the West End and like I mean Showstopper has a similar sort of um, totally Showstopper's dynamic, been going right? like it's been going so a long, long time but then yeah. suddenly it's in big theatres and people go oh that's a good I know thing. everyone's like oh my god it's like this new amazing yeah. thing it's like well it's not new <laughs> but thank you yeah, yeah. Um, um, is that something presumably you know it was you and some friends yeah. came up with the concept of that yes yeah so the idea of seeing that in the West End must be like just a really exciting it is really exciting. That must just never get boring, right? It's so exciting, but we're doing so much admin that it, you lose <laughs> sight of it. If you'd have said to us, like, last year or two years ago, like, imagine if you were going to do the West End. Yeah. Um, like a big, a big West End theatre, albeit for, we're only doing, like, once a month kind of thing. But, like, if you'd have said that, as a fact on its own, it's, like, pant-wettingly exciting. It's so... It's huge. And for some of us, not for everyone in the group, but for some of us who've grown up with the aspiration to be, like, an actor-actor, yeah. it's, oh, my God, the West End, oh, my God, with something that we created as yeah. well. Um, it's amazing. But at the moment, we're, apps, we're so embroiled in the production of it. It's <laughs> kind of hard to see the the light, uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. But we will, I'm sure, as soon as it actually starts happening. It will be amazing. And we're a bit we're nervous about it as well because yeah. it feels like it's got to be putting a lot of pressure on ourselves, like for it to be the best it's ever been. Um, but actually, I think we need to let go of that and just do what we do. Yeah. Um, is it difficult? So your, you know, your friends and then your, in a sense, business partners, yeah. and then you're on stage together as fellow actors and creators. Yeah, you're right. It's all. Th- um, it's those three things. How do you manage the boundaries of that, and what's the uh, what's the stuff that gets you through? Um, I think what what gets us through is that we are well. I suppose this isn't really an explanation in and of itself, but that we are such good friends. So I think in many ways we're very different, but at a baseline, we've got we've got so much in common as um, performers and. And weirdly, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but from the very beginning, we've all had a very similar vision for what this should be okay. and how things should go. Um, even from things things like how much you should charge an audience member, things like what events we should do and shouldn't do, um, what kind of improv we want to produce. Like, um, you Those know, are all like really different things as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, someone's sense of someone's business sense around the commercial aspects of it yeah like f- to have that side of it aligned yeah. and then also the creative sense of what it's going to look like on stage and yeah I mean it's quite remarkable to have yeah. found that and I don't think we knew we, did, we wouldn't have thought of those things when we started it yeah. but as time's gone on luckily with a, with a few exceptions um, we've been pretty much um, in agreement on, on most things hmm. um, the one thing we've always been in agreement about is this democracy that I was talking to you about earlier yeah. that we, we haven't got a manager or an agent we've always run it ourselves and um exhausting as that is i do think that that binds you tighter together when you're all equal in something you know it's a limited business now and we we you know yeah we own it together we're in it together <laughs> sound like a politician. so there's did you say eight people in yeah yeah ostentatious so essentially you guys own the business and yeah you know so you're dealing with the administrative side of it and yeah. 
the legal legal yeah know, oh my god why do we know about and, VAT yeah. and like all of that we've all had to learn new little bits of yeah. admin that that we didn't know before um but the way that we and is that like um so I'm wondering do we have that as opposites in the sense of so I do business stuff mm. a lot and then I play around with this improv stuff. Like the idea of like you guys doing improv all the time for the job. But then, then does so when you do the business stuff, is it like oh this is exciting and new and fun, no. or is it so you, no? It doesn't, it doesn't Tur- well like that. Turns out no. <laughs> <laughs> but we still we still have our fun on the stage. Yeah, that's still where right. the fun is, yeah. and in rehearsal and everything. Like even though that is our job, that's that's what we're doing it for. You know that that is not like that. Never, or very very rarely feels like proper work. Um, so I think that's what I, I suppose that's another reason that it's still working when you're trying to balance, like you say, friendship, co- yeah, co- sure. friendship, colleague and fellow performer and admin is that we love performing together yeah. still. And we haven't got bored of doing the stories. People quite often say, have you not like after so many, you know, hundreds of shows, have you not exhausted all the possibilities? And we've never once, I don't think, on stage thought, oh, I've seen this before, or you've done that before. Right, yeah. You, have, you do have little, maybe, character traits yeah. that you recognise in each other because we're all different kinds of actors, but but it really it feels new every show still now, which is yeah. weird because it shouldn't. <laughs> Statistically, it's amazing. Well, yeah, but also, you know, if you're doing... So I, had a, I have a friend who was... I said had. I have a friend. He's still my friend. <laughs> uh, but he was in uh, War Horse in the West End. Oh, wow. And did it hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. And he would play about three different characters. Right. So sometimes, you know, his character would change for a week and that's a nice break or yeah. whatever. But it's essentially the same show I don't every know night. Right. I've always wondered about that. Well, It Drives You Mad, I think, was his uh, conclusion. Yeah. So he And he did it for, yeah, about three years, kind of. Wow. He, he, I think, did two years and then a bit of time out. And then, and then there was, like, they have a thing where they need people to cover certain, you know, like maternity cover and yeah. all different things. Like. So he came back in almost like as a kind of temporary I'm just here for another two weeks and then ended up staying another year and a bit after that yeah um but I think it does drive you a little bit nuts but it obviously with do. with you guys every night is different, different and it's created yeah. on the spot and you're thinking on your feet so it just has that slightly different mm. I guess it's harder to get bored in that it's sense. much harder to get even in terms of shared history like we did well, our first we've we've toured quite a few times but we did our, our biggest sort of proper one in autumn and it was quite full-on like place to place like four days a week you know um a lot of travelling and night after night, different towns. Um, but like even the shit shows, <laughs> we that that kind of <laughs> it's not great for the audience. But and I think I think our, I think our shit isn't too shit. Like right. you know, I don't I don't think. So when you say shit, people still come out having enjoyed felt, the show. Yeah, I yeah think, you don't I think enjoy so. It, they, but... they still make nice yeah. comments at the yeah. end and everything. But for us, it feels like not our best. But like those shows, even though they're not our best, I feel like having a variety of different kinds of shows even if by that I mean different standards yeah it gives it still as a group it means that you're sharing history that is more interesting than doing the same show yeah. every single night and highs and lows highs and, and lows it gives you something to talk about own, yeah your own narratives through yeah, that and stuff. Yeah. yeah which is interesting come back to your whole thing about loneliness with being a solo performer well that's how that, I get that's away that's how you get yeah. your community and you yeah. have that nice kind of balance yeah um, there's quite a lot of ostentatious R solo performers and I think, therefore, that when we 
get together as much as we can drive each other mad it really feels like brother and sister relationship mm. now yeah we've very uh, like half of us have known each other for like 10 years we've certainly been performing this closely for five or six six coming up to six years now in, in ostentatious and we have reached that stage of like brother and sister like driving each other up the wall but a real love yeah, there right. a real love um and forgiveness and you get infuriated and then you're just best friends so I think that we <laughs> I think that we cling to each other harder because a lot of us have got the experience of yeah. that loneliness on the other side of things. Mm. And Do I feel so lucky I feel so lucky to have it because I obviously most of the comedians I know don't have that. Yeah. That other half of their career. For sure. And also just the that sense of kind of close working bond mm. um is something that you know a lot of people in businesses really strive for in terms of teams. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what would happen if Say if like three people decided to go travelling or have kids or something and yeah. you needed to, you know, replace them with two or three more people. Yeah. Would that be difficult to get new people in? Because you can, you do have this, you know, they would just immediately feel like the outsiders. Because it, would be we- it would be weird. Yeah. I mean, one of us has had a baby and had a few months off. Right. Which was weird. And just through, to not and have it, them around. Just to not have yeah. them around, and, and it throws the balance off yeah. socially as much yeah. as anything else. Like socially, you're like, oh, it's not quite. The dynamic is a bit off. Mm. Like it's just weird. Apart from missing her, um, but. Um, and does everyone talk about that? Is that like voiced as a thing? Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in the pub or in your rehearsals or like where in, does that come out? In uh, in the pub and in post show chats. Right. Okay. Because um, it affects the shows as well. Like, um, it's it's not something luckily that we've had really to deal with apart from that was the first time last year that that happened mm. and now you know she's back and everything's back to normal but like um i wouldn't be we have I've th- i don't it is a bit of a sort of elephant in the room actually because i think maybe from my point of view there have been a couple of times in the last five years where i've wondered if if like one or other member uh might leave right to do something else i think none of us have for example had some kind of I don't know, Hollywood offer that takes us out of the country or something. Because I think it would, because because as a performer, it's so nice to have a show that you enjoy and that pays, yeah. that is not going to stop happening. Yeah. Then it would take quite a lot to give it up, especially if sure, you're, yeah. if you're yeah. involved in it in a big way. So it would take something huge to leave. But I did wonder if, I, there's a couple of times I wondered if someone would. Mm. But it hasn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> so we would, it would be weird. It would be weird. But we'd cross that bridge when we came to it. Yeah. There's just, that feels like an interesting thing just around kind of human dynamics and teams and yeah. something that people just experience in every walk of life. Right? Yeah. But you guys are so much more intertwined because of what you have to do on stage versus yeah. you know, the background to it. And all that kind of I stuff, think so. this year, I was talking to you about how busy it's been, like um, the business side of it, because this is the year when new opportunities for ostentatious are cropping up has been the year when we've had to say things like in meetings of like, well, uh, I think some people have had a a reluctance to like commit to the amount of work and stress Mm, that it has been because there's so much else going on in everyone's lives. And so we've had to say, well, if you want to be a part of this, this is the direction this show is going in. So if you want to be part of it, this is, we've all got to put in this much work and you feel like it's independent of you. Like, what if we don't want <laughs> I think we all do but like it's a weird it's a weird thing to say like this is what's happening to the show yeah and we've just kind of got to follow in its wake and keep up with it yeah um, it's like your baby now is now growing up yeah. and has its own legs and we've got to keep tending thing. it we can't yeah. just not feed it yeah exactly 
So it's but a weird also it's one. making its own decisions and moving <laughs> in its own yeah. way and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just finally, before we finish, uh, maybe we we'll just go full circle because we yeah. started with this idea of best laid plans and yeah. plans changing and uh, you kind of thinking about sort of looking back on your life. So let's yeah. look forward. Yeah. Um, what do you, what's the plan that if you were the little girl now and you're looking the 10 or 15 years yeah. ahead, uh, what's your, what's your plan for that next 10 or 15 years? Kind of looking at Trying to think, looking as far ahead as the little girl would have looked um, to where you are now. If that does that make I sense? think, yeah, I think, I think. Um, well, I did get, a, I got new plans when I was an older child. Okay. Which affects what I'm, what my plans are now. Which was just because I didn't think it was possible, like when I was growing up, really. So it seemed like a pipe dream. But my plan, my hope, my ambition was to be able to make a living as a performer. Hmm. So that, and I thought that was almost impossible. I didn't know anyone who did that, apart from like Judy Dench. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. So I didn't think anyone really did that. Um, and I think that it was imbued in me that it was a bit of a, not a thing that happened. So yeah, I'm careers doing, advisors aren't very good not very, with not great. those kinds of things either. No, they? no, they really are very pessimistic, which I understand, you know, they want you to be sensible, but... Um, so, in, in another way, I am sort of fulfilling that plan, which is great, which is really nice. And I've been doing that for a few years, like making a living as a performer. And just that feels nice. Um, and a bit like plans for the future. I'd love to, I'd love to do um, my own show on Radio 4. I'm not really sure what kind... I've got different ideas of what kind of show it would be, but I love right. Radio 4. I just listen to it constantly (laughs) and I love what they put out and for me it would just feel like there's something um like smart and that I respect about it that would feel like just a little marker in my career of like like, now now I'm one of those people yes yeah 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 yeah. um I'd love to do that I love the chance to write for I enjoy writing for radio even though I hadn't had much go out I still have been writing for radio and I really I really enjoy that what else would I like to do? And I'd, li- I'd just like to do more TV work. Hmm. I'll tell you what I would like to do, but I feel like I'm not allowed to say this as a comedian because it doesn't help my it doesn't help my career to say this. But I want to do more acting. Oh right, okay. I came from acting. Is that like a swear word if you're a comedian? Well, say, oh, it doesn't do help. They say that you're com- you're confusing the industry, and oh, right, you know, okay. yeah. you've just got to make it clear what it is that you're reaching for. And right, okay. So that people can kind of shepherd you in the right the direction, direction that yeah. suits them and suits you. And it's confusing yeah. for me to say that I want to be in a yeah. real period drama, but I do. That's, why, <laughs> that's obviously why we created Ostentatious, is because I want to be in a Jane Austen show. Um, so, yeah, I'd love in the future to do some real, real acting. That'd be really nice. I do bits of, of theatre now and then. I'm doing yeah. a show at Christmas that's like proper acting, but it, I'd, re- I'd like to do more of that. There'd be something quite. Um amusing about the idea of people who'd been to see ostentatious then seeing you in a real Jane Austen <laughs> would be thing, a bit confusing. and them just being a bit head fucked of like okay so is this made up or yeah, whatever what? i'm sure i read emma like is it a real <laughs> yeah that would be fun cool so lots of plans uh thank you so much for uh inviting me to your your lovely place Thanks. here in it's south been london a nice chat, isn't it? um and uh what's been interesting is like i have my list of like emergency questions and i don't think i've even read one of them out oh, because, I, like, can, I can talk your ass <laughs> right, off you know, uh, you yeah, get me started. we just got onto some really interesting uh, <laughs> topics there so yeah. i'll put a few things in the show notes just so that people can find out yeah. about your work and uh, where they can see you and stuff but uh, maybe just okay. finish by um 
if people want to get hold of you or get in touch with you, like how yeah. do they find you in the world? Absolutely. So if you want to see me live, I put all my dates on rachelparis.com. And if you want to tweet me, feel free or follow me. I'm at Rachel Paris. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. So thanks again to Rachel for being on the show. And if you go to getbeyondbusy.com, you'll be able to find links in the show notes there to all of Rachel's stuff. You'll be able to connect with Rachel and also with me. And also links to uh, my producer, Mark, Mark Stedman from Bloomsbury Digital. Bloomsbury Digital, can never say that. Uh, so you'll find there uh, links to Mark's stuff. And if you're interested in podcasting at all, if you want to kind of set up your own podcast and stuff, Mark would love to chat to you. He is uh, just an all-round top guy. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of Beyond Busy. And until then, take care. Bye for now. Bye for now.